Hey everybody, this is the Ebb and Flow Podcast, and it's me, the ex-NFL offensive lineman who morphed into a yogi. It's good to be with all of you. Um, Just having some fun here. I think you guys will enjoy it too. With humanity, all of the differences create the whole. If you're living the life that someone else is telling you to live or else you're not doing a good job, your life will be filled with discontent and unfulfillment. If you live from the heart and you find yourself penniless, I guarantee you'll be happier than with a billion dollars in the bank and living someone else's life. To me, that's a life worth dying for. Living from the heart. A life lived from the heart space. That's a life worth dying for. Time's running out. That is an excerpt from A Life Worth Dying For by Eben Britton and Augustus Britton. Available right now, today, on Amazon. Link for that is in the show notes. We've also got merch, everybody, at higherpowerworkshop.com. T-shirts hoodies, all kinds of good stuff, hats, um, and more to come. We're going to keep the fresh gear rolling, so providing you guys with fun stuff to participate in the spreading of this divine message. Love to see you guys join the Power Tribe on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash E-D-S, Britain. Got all kinds of dope bonus ebb and flow content, guided meditations, breath work exercises, yoga flows. We do group sessions one, once a month, yoga and breath work and meditation, all kinds of good stuff. We've also got one-on-one coaching available. There are a couple packages there. Look for Ebb and Flow Coaching on Patreon. Those are one-hour, one-on-one sessions, once or twice a month, depending on your package. Limited availability, so if you're interested in that, jump on it, y'all. Love to connect with you guys. It's my favorite thing. All right. This is a super powerful conversation with a soul brother of mine. His name is Jordan Bach. <sighs> he's a friend. He's a life coach. He's a a very powerful individual. And I was really excited to have him on. I cry a number of times in this conversation. And I think you guys will enjoy it. So, without further ado, spend the rest of your day living in your highest greatness, y'all. That's it right now. This moment, this breath, it's all here. And we need you. Till next time, I'll see you all on the flip side. Peace. You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux. 
only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. What's up, peeps? Welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. It's me, Eben. It's excellent to be with you guys. Um, got a fantastic guest, a soul brother from the digital realm. We've never had a chance to connect in person. One day, I know we will. Jordan Bach, the young sage, the life coach. Welcome to the Ebb and Flow. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. It's awesome, man. It's so good to connect with you finally, dude. Um, like I said before we got started, I'm not even sure. I think maybe it was your message to me about you saw Take Your Pills or something like that. And you just expressed, you just sent me a really heartfelt, wonderful message about something you saw in me and my awareness or my message. And, uh, I really appreciated that. And then I started following you and I literally love every single thing you put out your clarity, your depth, your sensitivity, your in touchness with things happening in the world, but also your in touchness with yourself and your heart and how that manifests or how that correlates or is a reflection of what's happening out in the world and that's so key today um so it's great to be with you man i'm really Um, excited to have you here i've been looking forward to this you know what it was i did see you on that show um i think you you were cooking with uh with cannabis oh oh so that was the vice show that was the vice show and i saw you on that and i was like i just really liked your your energy. And I have so many, you know, men in my life who I consider to be men of the new age. Um, Men who are so have such strength and such um, confidence, uh, in other words, faith in who they are Mm. um, and in their power in the world that they're able to really own themselves and go deeper. And um, you know, we've all heard before that vulnerability is strength. Um, mm. but there are a lot of sort of counterfeit versions of true vulnerability, especially on the internet and particularly in spiritual circles, it's really counterfeit <laughs> vulnerability. And with people like you and, um, so many of the men and women in my life, g- genuine vulnerability, you can just sense And you can sense when someone is ready and willing and has um, gone deep. And so I Mm. saw that in you and just sent you a message. And the next day, it was a rainy day in New York City. And I was sitting with my sister and a couple of friends at lunch. And I was talking about you. And then I looked down at my phone. And it was, um, yeah, a message, I think, in response from you. And since then, I've been, you know, every post that I see of yours, I just feel very very connected to it for some reason. And I always, yeah. I, I'm, I'm the type of person who trusts in timing and trusts in sort of what I call the animating factor. When you see someone or you're connected with someone 
and they in some way animate you and they make you mm. yeah call it the animation factor and that's how you know you're meant to have that person in your sphere and i feel that oh. way with you yeah oh dude i love that so much good stuff in there um i'm curious because i feel like this is a this is a big thing in this day and age where spirituality is very trendy it's super trendy like you scroll through instagram and there's thousands of people with like the hats and the the beads and the crystals and the stuff you know what are the hats <laughs> Like they've got like out of them like the wide brim hats. I, I don't even know what. Okay, you know yeah, what yeah. You're talking about the L.A. vibe. The, the, yeah, yeah. It's super, I yeah. guess that is the L.A. vibe, but it's mm -hmm. it it feels like that always. That's always one of the masks of the, the counterfeit spirituality. That's part of the garb. And I'm curious what what you what does that look like the counterfeit vulnerability as opposed to. I'll start there because I feel like the true vulnerability you already answered. It's that, it's that feeling, it's that vibration that just comes through. But what does the counterfeit vulnerability look like? Well, I would say, um, you know, so many of us in the spiritual field, especially, you know, those of us, like I'm, I've been a life coach for over a decade. As soon as I graduated college, I began coaching. Um, and I never stopped. And, my success or at the very least um the 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 fact that people know what a life coach is is due in part to oprah winfrey who started mm. her talk show back in what 1985 86 um and th into the 90s it became more of it, it she started and people forget this but she started with her salacious jerry springer type shows in the 80s mm. And then she says she made a decision that she wanted to bring higher vibration content to the world. And through the 90s, it became more of a confessional talk show where people came on and told their stories. And this is before the web. And so it was the first time people, and, and again, this is, the, this is a talk show that was seen by more households than any other talk show in history on a daily basis. So people were, Americans particularly, were getting familiar with what it was like to be vulnerable in a public forum and to be, and to have people hear your story with a great deal of sensitivity. And also, um, and this is neither um, a, a promotion nor a condemnation of Oprah Winfrey, but it became, there was uh, some measure of putting tears um, mm. and public vulnerability on a pedestal and then as mm. soon as the internet came around you saw a, a great amount of people almost a, like a trend um crying on camera um what, what i call relatability culture a toxic relatability culture where people want to talk about the darkest moments in their life publicly on the internet um, they'll, you know, take a, a photo of themselves looking horrible and post it on the internet. I don't, I, I don't, I still don't know what the intention is or say, you know, my life is such a fucking mess. Look at my life. 
and then you read mm. the comments and i always love reading the comments because through reading the comments you can you know get the temperature and start to tune into the zeitgeist of how people are responding and people largely respond like you go girl like you look horrible you go girl which i didn't i still don't understand <laughs> And then like your life's a mess. Like, yeah, I just want to drink wine and eat pizza. Um, <laughs> this like relatability culture, which I thought was a, it's ah, like, interesting on its face. But I think at the end of the day, we all want to be uplifted. We want some sense of elevation. We want to see, uh, we, we want to see some inspiring and motivating goalposts um for ourselves and so that's why i lean toward the more aspirational in a positive way in a way that takes into account the reality of things um without dipping my toe into that toxic relatability culture where you where you say you know my life is a mess and and look at how horrible i look and look at how i'm falling <laughs> apart and people go yay good for you i just never i just never ever got that in kundalini yoga which i study and teach i yogi bhajan says mm. that in order to teach you have to come from a place of elevation mm. so it's not that i'm in an elevated place 24 7 and for anyone to think that any teacher or any human being is at an elevated place 24 7 um they they don't get it yet but when i'm teaching and when i'm sharing publicly to people i consciously make a choice to come from a place of elevation you can't make mm. yourself so poor that poor people get out of poverty you can't make yourself so weak that other people become strong you can't lift people up pull them up if you're bringing yourself down it just mm. doesn't work so I, I don't I like that. the relatability culture. And I find that that relatability culture is, to answer your question, a huge part of the counterfeit vulnerability. Like if I cry mm. to you and show you that my life is a mess, you'll accept me. You won't feel threatened by me. Uh, yes. There's so much good stuff in there, man. Um. To me, that's a lot of people who are, because we all go through that, right? You know, we all go through the stages in our life where it feels really fucking hard and it's heavy and we feel like shit and it's messy and all of that. But it's like, how do you come out the other end higher, stronger, a better version of yourself? That's really what it's, that's like the, the, the second the completion of the cycle that those that relatability culture is missing in my mind as you're talking about it you know and it's like why do you feel like shit why do you feel like you're why is your life a fucking mess mm -hmm. maybe you've spent your entire life ignoring all the things that keep coming up for you over and over again why you can never have a relationship why you can never keep a job, why you feel like you're constantly, you know, throwing yourself into the drugs and the alcohol and the pizza and the junk eating and this just stuffing down the feelings. 
Like, why don't we peel back the cover of that and get into the fucking, the, the muck of your human experience, which is where that true vulnerability lies. I also think that it's not always necessary to dive Show deep that. into your childhood traumas and and go mm-hmm. through um a, you know as you said like serious muck right away if somebody mm. it, it, though yeah. though that you know will come if and when the time is right you know but i i think it's also a choice of stopping and realizing that your life isn't the way you want it to be and not just that you don't have the the rolls royce or the g-wagon yet but that you are sad most days maybe Mm. or that you feel disgusted in your body physically Mm. or that um whatever it is um realizing where you are and having a willingness to open up to guidance um Mm. A small willingness. You don't need to say, okay, I believe that everything's happening for a reason right now, but at least a small willingness, a tiny willingness to open up and say, hey, maybe the circumstances of my life are the way they are right now so that I can learn. Um, And what will help you get to that point of opening up with a little willingness is recognizing that Life is not supposed to be happiness and ecstasy or even just peace 24-7. We came here as souls to learn lessons of joy, peace, mercy, grace, charity, forgiveness. And these lessons often come through pain. And we Mm. signed up to be in this earth school classroom to learn. Not only we can learn through joy and we can learn through pain, but Mm. ultimately most of us are going to learn through both. And so Mm. releasing this idea that that we need to reach a destination of ultimate peace and happiness, just releasing the idea (laughs) um, is so freeing because then you're like, oh, okay. if I'm if I get angry one day, I'm not uh, a bad person. If I Mm. lash out one day, I'm not a bad person. If I am really depressed for a few days, I'm not a bad person. If I eat like shit um, for a little while, I'm not a bad person. It's part of my learning and I can Mm. integrate it as part of my, my, who I am deep down. Um, I'm learning these lessons. These are my rough edges and these tough situations. If I let them can sort of polish my rough edges. Um, the, 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 you can do one of two things. You can let the hardships in your life make you bitter or you can let the mm. hardships in your life make you better. And and the, the visualization I've had, the metaphor that I've had in my mind for quite some time is that, you know, your heart is, if you picture your heart being like soil, um, the most fertile soil is that, is that tilled soil. It's not impacted. It's not hard. And so many people, um, understandably, your response to to painful situations, whether it's a breakup or a job loss, a divorce, a a death of a child or a parent, 
um, you, it's, it's easy to let these situations harden and impact the soil of your heart. And every time, though, you cry, every time you tell the truth to yourself and to your loved ones, every time you stretch a bit to have that tiny willingness to be open to the idea that you may be guided in your life, um, you're tilling the soil of your heart and it's becoming a softer place, a more fertile place where those gifts of, of the spirit um, can, can, can grow and, and flourish. Hmm. I love that. I love that visual of the heart as soil. Yeah, you got to till that shit. You really do. And every time you have a really good cry, every, every time you have a really good cry, and I, again, not the counterfeit cry that you see, you know, yes. online crying to, you know, strangers, but with someone who you really trust and they ask you a question and you, you realize that you had an energy block or you had this unprocessed emotion and you just burst into tears and you cry and you're hugged and you're able to be with yourself and give yourself compassion. You're tilling the soil of your heart. You're tilling that hard impacted ground um, and your life will be richer and more fertile in response. Mm. Mm. So good, man. How Such often do you visual. cry? <laughs> a lot. I cried this morning. You did. I cried yesterday. Yeah. I cry That's a lot, man. I, uh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> it's, yeah. but you know, it has, Jordan, one of the things I really connected with you on, I saw you talking about something when you were a child. A dream you had when you were a child. Mm. It was beautiful. And something I've always connected with you on, and I don't know if you even really said this in particular, but from the time I was a little boy, as far back as I can remember, I had this inner knowing. I didn't know what, what it was, but it was just an inner knowing of there is a higher source of intelligence guiding my life. And there was a plan and a mission for my purpose here and what I'm supposed to do. And through that, the only constant that there's been, because it's all change, it's all ebb and flow, it's all constantly moving and evolving and shifting, the only thing that has been constant is that one moment at a time, I have been, I have had a willingness to just take the next step with spirit, wherever that's going. At, for a long time, for 15 years of my life, it was about football. It was about playing in the NFL. I had this mission, which really laid this foundation of learning really heavy, big, hard life lessons. 
And I completely destroyed myself in the process, mentally, spiritually, and physically through the process of my football career of showing and proving to the world, doing my damnedest to prove to the world how big and scary and mean I was and to be feared I was. And I came out of that football career decimated. But even like every step of the way there, I was constantly just following the vibration or that sense of spirit is guiding me here. And when football was over, it was like I was sitting in the room in Chicago. I was watching film, totally broken down. Popping pills just to sit in the fucking meeting room to watch this film. My appendix had ruptured that season. I had to have an emergency appendectomy. Another manifestation of God in my body. Showing me the way like, Ab, you know, maybe we're done. After a back surgery, a shoulder surgery an infection in the disc after the back surgery. Six years in the NFL. I'm sitting there and I'm going, what am I doing here now? Like, I don't love this anymore. I used to want to kill that person in front of me. Now I don't. I look at them as a friend, as an equal. I don't have that, the bloodlust that I had because I had to exercise all of this pain on other people and I was celebrated for it for so long like I'm like what do I I don't I don't have any more to exercise and the coach behind me he doesn't give a fuck how much pain I'm in what am I doing to myself now and it was like seeing this light at the end of this tunnel of my football career and I knew it was time to be done You know, and it was just like a constant willingness. It wasn't easy ever, never. You know, it was never easy and so clear like God came into my life and just said, here, Eb, here's the answer. But it was just this willingness, this openness to just surrender to the truth of my life and where I was at. And the more I resisted it, the heavier it came. And just surrendering to it over and over again. And so coming out of football, my life became about putting the pieces back together, reconfiguring myself. Every relationship I had had been through this lens of me as a pro football player, as a pro athlete. I didn't know how to talk to anybody. I had no idea. It wasn't really, I didn't feel at the time, you know, I had no tools for communication. I'd come out of uh, my family background, my childhood. There was a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental health issues, a lot of depression. And so I had to slowly but surely start picking myself back up, learning who I was, taking it one step at a time. And... That's just gotten me to this place, you know, where I feel like I'm so in the flow at this stage in my life. I'm so open and willing and ready to receive whatever it is that God brings to me next. And paradoxically realizing that I am God in flesh and form and the creator of my life. And I have the power to manifest whatever reality I choose in my life.
taking total accountability for myself. And, you know, it's really interesting what's happening in the world because I feel like a lot of people are coming to that bottom or just like hitting that karmic weight in their lives where it's like they can't go on any longer doing the things, living the life they've been living because their soul is just screaming yeah, to express I, I it's, itself. Yeah, I think it's people are becoming more aware of the lies, not only in the external world outside of us, but also the lies that we're telling ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think this is a, an age where, and the, the pandemic um, accelerated that process of revelation. Yeah. But, you, you yes. know, so many people uh, live in denial. Um, yes. I, it's not easy for me to live in denial. Um, I, I, the, uh, I, 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 when I see something that's, that's, that feels wrong or that I know to be true, I act on it. But I know mm. a lot of people aren't like that. Um, a lot of people would rather, you, you, know, it's, you, you know what a big phrase is, a big term that I think we should all be paying attention to and then looking out for is cognitive dissonance. Mm. People's realities are being upended, mm. whether it's their marriages that they've, that they've known they shouldn't be in. And mm. the, the pandemic just exacerbated the symptoms of, uh, in this case, a relationship mismatch. Um, yet they fear what would happen if they actually took a step forward and surrendered and said, okay, I need to let go of this relationship. I don't know how I'm going to make money now because my partner was supporting me. I don't, you know, these big practical questions, it scares a lot of yeah. people. And so they, they really try their best to deny that it's happening. And mm. same goes for people who, let's say, supported a particular political candidate or a po political party or a political mm. movement. And mm they really believed it they may have they may have marched for it and prayed for it and and proselytized to their friends and family about it on their facebooks and at dinner tables and then they realize and then information comes along that oh the candidate the party the movement wasn't what i thought it was right there's similar <laughs> cognitive dissonance and a denial and yet i'm very i try my best to be very gentle with these people particularly mm. when it comes to politics, because the mm. cognitive dissonance is such that if they were to accept the truth as we know it, it is, what it is, is it's damaging yeah. to their idea of self, their identity, yes. because we yeah. politics, especially American politics, so much of our identity is built around our politics. And yeah. I, I think it's in one in, in one way of looking at it is that it's a wonderful thing and it's part of the American experiment. Um, so in, in one way, I think that's great that um, Americans tend to be more enthused um, by politics and by political personalities. In another sense, it can be difficult when you have a mass of people, a populace that isn't really um, vigorous in their in their own self-exploration 
because you can have people who are identitarians, which is what you find now on both the right and the left, more so though on the far left, real identitarians. And w w when you start um, sharing information that, that conflicts with their ideas, you're not just attacking ideas, you're attacking their identity. And yes. so I don't say that in a pejorative sense. I, I don't mean to put people down. In fact, I, 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 I enjoin anybody who's listening to this to be more gentle as you move forward and realize that when it comes to whether you're talking about the truth about someone's relationship, yo, this guy is not good for you. You, you got to mm. leave him. Or listen, this party or this movement isn't what you thought it was. And I see mm. you posting about it on Facebook and Instagram. Be gentle and realize that yeah. you're not just dealing with ideas. A lot of the time, you're dealing with people's identities. And that cognitive dissonance is a very difficult thing to break through. But I think if mm. you do it with genuine, um, genuine kindness and saying, I thought you might like to know, and I'm not judging you, but I, but I, I thought you might like to know, um, you'll make more headway than if you batter people over the heads and get in internet fights. If you're getting in internet yes. fights, you need to take in a little social media detox <laughs> and reevaluate your intention. I'm very serious about that. Absolutely. Stop fighting Absolutely. on the fucking internet and use that block button often and assiduously. Yep. Absolutely, man. <laughs> no, it's so true. This visual has come to me where people are running through the digital world. They're running into crowds with the sledgehammer, with the mace, screaming at the top of their lungs, their righteousness or their beliefs. Oh. Just wreaking havoc. And it's like, it's just not helpful. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful to any sense of unity and this came to me yesterday and it was interesting you talked about yogi bhajan did you did you know yogi bhajan no no um and what he said about teaching and when you teach you have to come from an elevated place and then your idea of you can't solve the issue of poverty by making yourself so poor you can't lift <laughs> people up by getting down and this thing came to me yesterday because in the media and even our, our politicians at this stage, it's so the only way I can really describe it, Jordan, is we have a major pandemic of mental illness mm -hmm. in the world. Massive. The fear virus and the mental illness virus are two insidious elements that are just wreaking havoc on humanity and i say that and this thing came to me yesterday in yoga and it was so it was one of the you know it was, it was a cosmic just download straight from the source and it was it's metaphysically impossible to build unity while focusing on division mm -hmm. It's just completely impossible. And here we are in this day and age 
with the identity politics. You call them identary, identitarians, identitarians. Yeah, identitarians. Identitarians. It's and it's so true because people are on the news. People are the governor of California. I mean, these people are saying they want unity, saying we want togetherness, saying we want people to come together, saying that we have to galvanize ourselves, one and all, to move forward. Oh, it's absolute absolutely. It's, it's, it's absolutely. Oh, of course. Absolute of course. They're not trying Meanwhile, to Meanwhile, they're not trying to unify. Exactly. Well, but no then worries. the next the next word is drawing the lines in the sand of who are the good people, who are the bad people. Mm-hmm. The Who's speaker this? of the house just yesterday called people who are she she, she called the uh, let's say the other side morons, um, and there's right. no there's no dearth of that sort of thing on the other side either. Um, which is not to say that everybody on the left is a certain way or everybody on the right is a certain way. And believe it or not, I do have faith. Um, I'm a huge fan of the United States of America. I'm very proud to be an American. And I do have faith that after this, uh, given what we've been through in the past five years, since I would say Trump announced his candidacy, um, so much has been revealed, good, bad, um, on both sides. Um, Right. And I I think that so many people are being not only (laughs) tuned into politics, but turned on by politics. And so many people like you and I, who really would, you know, would take what would be glad to do whatever it took to tell the truth and to help people, um, regardless of social um, approbation, regardless of, of salary or that sort of thing, um, we would be willing to come forward and do something about it. I do have faith that the politicians that we're going to see in the coming years are going to be very impressive and are going to yeah. transcend this two-party politics. That's my vision. That's my hope. That's my prayer. But in the meantime, we really have to focus on tuning into the truth. And mm. that's why I turn off the news almost yes. all the time. I do not tune in to corporate news um, no. with the exception of a few times a month. And on that, and in that moment, I will turn on Fox News and watch Tucker Carlson. And then I'll flip to Rachel Maddow. And I'll watch uh-huh. two people report the same topic through their different lenses. I think Mm. one of the most powerful things you can do to be an engaged citizen isn't to tune out entirely, but to to tune in assiduously and carefully and be able to to see both sides of the story, to tune into the zeitgeist, to see how more than half of the country is thinking, which would be Fox, and then how a little less than half of the country is thinking, these masses of people. And above all, remember that these corporate media entities ultimately care about the bottom line. They Mm. are scrambling since Trump got out of office, we all know. Their, Their ratings have plummeted, their revenues have plummeted because Trump is out of office. They don't have fear to sell. They don't have chaos to sell. And so they're scrambling. You'll notice on the left, uh, on most of the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, they're still talking about Trump. Right. 
<laughs> and they're trying to do whatever they can. And now it's the Delta variant of COVID, right? right. The Delta variant. Right. And they're, 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 they're these fear stories about, about how we must mask our children, mask mm-hmm. our children in schools, even though, you know, and even though they're, they, it's just absolutely crazy. And what a lot of people don't understand who don't have children or who aren't around children regularly is how disturbing it is for me to drop out. My sister lives down the street with her three children. Her two daughters are of, of school age, nine and five, and to drop them off, as I often do at school first thing in the morning, wearing masks, Sick. not anymore here in Miami, Florida, but yeah. a few months ago, to drop them off in the morning wearing masks and have them both crying and saying, I can't breathe. And then to have the school administrator, when I drop them off at the front, say, above your nose, pull the mask above your nose. And they were just crying, but they held hands and walked into school together. And I got into the car and had a, 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 a an adult male moment of extreme anger. Mm-hmm. But anger is always a secondary emotion. So what was behind that was a serious sense of sadness and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And every most people are feeling that. And so the narrative that especially the the left is pushing is one that is doomed and we right. all need to be tuning in whether you're on the left or the right and you don't like the other side or whatever we all need to be tuning in to what the people in general are feeling about these pandemic restrictions and to your point evan how they're affecting our mental health suicides are up alcoholism is up overdose deaths are up spousal abuse is up child abuse is up and no one seems to be talking about it. This is a silent, this is the silent epidemic. Um, mm. And that's what I, that's why I've been speaking up. That's why I've been mm. posting certain things on Instagram and Instagram stories. And I've received so much heat for simply saying, mm. no, I am not getting the vaccine. Mm. My family is not getting the vaccine. We never intended to. Mm. It's, it's, and, and I haven't given my reasons exactly why, but I've said it's medical choice. We all deserve medical freedom and medical choice. And when I tell you that people have come at me for that oh, in such a cruel way, I always say coming out as spiritual and as a believer was far more difficult than coming out as gay <laughs> in America, far more difficult in a largely in an increasingly secular atheistic you know, that's the that's in vogue today to be secular and, and atheist um, to come out as spiritual. I, I was fucking railed for it and made fun of by my own community of gays constantly on Twitter. Every time I opened up Twitter, it was like, who do you think you are? OK, OK, you think you're the white gay Oprah, that sort of thing for years and years and years. Oh my God. And then coming out and saying, I believe in medical freedom. People should have the right to choose what to do with their bodies. And let's not follow the path of China with, you know, social credits or permits of when you can walk into an establishment or not. Uh, Let's not follow that path. Just from saying that, um, I've been raked across the coals. But guess what? I could not care less. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I have that quality innately. I'm a very sensitive person and I do care 
what people say and how people see me. But the fact of the matter is I have chosen consciously to surround myself with, with deep friendships and with my family. Mm. And so I have people around me who are reflecting back to me who I really am every single mm. day. So it's not that when someone makes a comment about me that I don't maybe ponder it for a moment or that it doesn't make maybe give me a single butterfly in my stomach for a moment. It's that it, it, it may sway me a bit, but it doesn't uproot me because I have my roots around me. And my roots are always, always, always my relationships with other people. And I think that's one thing that the, that the pandemic has really thrown into relief for us is the necessity, the importance of genuine relationships. People who we can cry to, people who can cry to us, people who, with whom there is no sense of judgment. There's only a sense right. of support. Um, and so I am grateful and I would say I'm blessed and indeed I am, but I've also put a lot of conscious effort into, into establishing, building and, and maintaining my relationships over the past several years. Hmm. Don't you feel your relationship, how have your relationships changed over the pandemic? I mean, first of all, I feel like I could burst into tears. So with everything you said. Um, my relationships have all deepened. I have felt disconnected from a lot of people who pre-pandemic I felt were really close friends. And there's a very true axiom that football coaches love to say, which is you find out who people really are when they face adversity. Mm -hmm. And... I wouldn't say that I've totally lost friends, but I've definitely become untethered from a lot of relationships, but I've also gained a whole new community of people who are, I feel so deeply connected to and a lot of which, a lot of whom I haven't even met in person. It's been through social media, through the podcast, having conversations with people who are open-minded, open-hearted, courageous individuals seeking out the truth in their own lives, free of judgment, free of denial. My relationship with my wife has become so rock solid. Wow, and we've awesome. had we we've had some I mean the end of 2020 the holidays really we were we were we were solid through most of 2020 and then the holidays came and shit just really got hairy and we were extremely challenged <laughs> and it 
It resulted in me taking a two-week trip to Tucson, Arizona. I spent two weeks with my dad. And it was like my wife and I had a heinous, just one of the worst fights we've ever had. And it was right before Christmas. And um, came out of this fight. She went to work. I just got on my knees and started praying because I said, God, I have no idea what to do here. I don't know what, you know, I don't have the strength. I don't, I don't have the courage to even open my mouth about what I need. I don't even know what I need. I went to see my wife a few hours later at her office as things had cooled down. And before I could really even say anything, she said, I think you should take a trip and go away after Christmas. And I said, thank you, God, you know, because (laughs) that's exact, you know, because that was exactly what I needed. And I didn't have the, the inner fortitude even to say that, to express that to her in that moment. Mm -hmm. And she just said it. And I said, yes, I think you're right went away, came back, and I realized how much anger I had pent up. And really, the the culminating thing for me, Jordan, has been that I have never expressed to anyone until my wife, just recently even, because we, we made amends through that process, We came back together after that two-week break. We're still, we started couples counseling. We started working through some things that we've really needed to work through. And then two months ago, once again, found ourselves at odds. Having really, like we've had home renovations going on. We've been, had all kinds of things. You know, our daughter is nine years old. The school shit and the, all the things, man. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. so much. It's There's so much challenge in it. And then two months ago, she took a girl's trip, a much needed girl's trip. And one of the things I'm always wanting my wife to take better care of herself, to take time. She's just a complete giver powerhouse, you know, as many women are. Mm-hmm. She's a tremendous mother. She is a tremendous wife and partner, but she just, her, and that will cloud her ability to take take good care of herself. So she took this girl's trip, went away to Tulum. And in that process, I had all this shit going on inside of me. She came back. We had a really heated conversation. And by the end of the conversation, I really wanted to hold on to this righteous anger towards her. Like it's her fault for X, Y, and Z, you know, until she does this, then our relationship will be better. And through this process of this conversation in our kitchen, where I wanted to run out of the house because I was so angry and all of a sudden, I started expressing to her what I needed. And I said, honey, I just need you to tell me when I'm showing up as a husband, to tell me when I'm showing up as a father. 
and I feel like you've been really critical of me. And I realize so much about myself that I've never, ex- I've never expressed to anyone what I needed. I've never been that intimate with someone expressing just a heartfelt need of where I'm at. And she burst into tears. We came together, hugged. And my, my life has never been the same since that. Oh, I'm crying now. And um, it was such a fucking turning point for me, Jordan. Because like you said, everybody, we're all like caught in this identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Where Constantly. We, we just want it to be, we want it to be someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault always. And that just keeps us in the victim state. It keeps us in that victim state. But when we're willing to acknowledge what it is we need, what it is we want, it lifts us into this empowerment, this self-empowerment that is so powerful. It's so important in the life and the evolution of the self and the spirit. And it's changed my entire outlook, man, because I've, I've realized I've been doing that with everything. I'm really, you know, I have a deep seated repulsion of authority figures and anyone who tells me what I should or shouldn't be doing with my life, my health, my well being, mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. I really have a deep seated need. I want to save the world. I want to save everybody. And through COVID, like you said, I've learned There's no saving anyone. You know, we're all on our own path and all we can really hope to do is open the door for people or show people there's another way, give them an example of Mm -hmm. how to live in your truth and being the light. You know, and my relationship with my wife has never been better. And uh, we're just such a great team. And that's, you know, that's a lot of fucking, man, because it's, you know, and I, and I say that coming from a place of having been through the hellfire. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say, walking through the fire in a relationship. He, yeah, yeah. You know, th- there's a book I want to recommend to you and, and your listeners if um, what Please. you're saying uh, resonates with them those moments where things are solid and then you have the most heated arguments you've ever had. And then you feel like after you go through it and process it, that you've walked through in your words, the hellfire. Um, There's a book by my friend, the author Marianne Williamson, and it's Mm. called enchanted love. It is one of my favorite books. It is so well written. And one of the metaphors that she uses in the book Enchanted Love, which is really how to um, thrive in your intimate romantic partnerships. She uses the metaphor of walking through the fire Mm. and what it takes, the spiritual rootedness and the spiritual heights of grace it takes that to walk through the fire as a rod together Mm. 
So I, I love the book Enchanted Grace by Marianne Williams. If, if anyone, even you, Evan, are interested in, in just Definitely reading a couple chapters about walking through the fire with, with, uh, with your partner. It's really good. Absolutely. I'm going to check it out for sure, man. Um, you know, I love what you say, Jordan, because you're really, you're all about, you know, it's all spirit and it's all energy and i love this meme the meme that comes up for me all the time Uh, and, and i use the term spirituality as an identifier for a certain plane of being that we all tap into or that we all have access to at all times because it's all spirit but it's all spirit you know like everything is spirit and we are spirit manifested in this physical form but there's a big tendency i think in the spiritual circles to and uh it's very easy to to over spiritualize everything Mm -hmm. and to get into this place of you know i've talked about this before as i've evolved and worked my way through my own evolution i've had these moments in the past where anger would come up sadness would come up whatever it was all of these very rich human experience emotions would come up and i'd go man eb you can't feel that you're too you're too spiritual for that bro you know, I call that this the ego coming in the back door, right? Right, ma- right, exactly. masquerading the ego masquerading as spirituality. So, yes. that often comes in with people like, You didn't meditate today, right. you didn't meditate <laughs> yesterday either, right? And yet, you're gonna go on a podcast and talk about spirituality, or you're gonna post something spiritual, you're a fraud, right? Um, that's like the ego coming in the back door and masquerading as a sense of righteousness and it's yes. all bullshit yep it's yes all bullshit. exactly exactly <laughs> um no and once it's you so realize true. it's so much easier to go through your day yeah. and say fuck off to someone who genuinely needs to fuck off um right and not feel any way about it uh same goes with your food and your eating patterns or Um, just everything in life, not everything needs to be pathologized or contextualized spiritually. Um, sometimes you can just walk through life and hopefully through your spiritual practice, you've laid down the foundation of who you really are. You've laid down a solid psyche for yourself mm. based on on principles that we've spoken about before the gifts of spirit mercy grace forgiveness compassion charity um you've laid down those foundations so deeply that they are they are unconsciously active constantly yeah then you can in terms of your conscious waking mind when you walk, go to target 
you throw it all out the window and then you just walk in <laughs> and you're a person and turns right. out if you relax um and breathe you end up being more of yourself and doing things yep. that are more in line with the principles um that undergird uh your your psychology you don't need to think put everything into spiritual context and in fact yes. it can often become a stranded little pool of water uh, where you've where you're sitting there navel gazing that's another downside <laughs> of the that's another downside of the spiritual community and also i think i'm right. seeing it very much in the in on the far leftist progressive um, political um, circles it's a lot of navel gazing a lot of mm. thinking about your own identity whether it's like right. I'm a spiritual person, how spiritual am I compared to this person, or am I growing constantly, or you know, like I am a gay man with a disability, <laughs> you know, like it's a lot of navel gazing, and uh, that's why I call it. You you find yourself in a stranded pool. You're no longer yes. in the flow of the river. You found yep. yourself in a little stranded pool. And mm. and yes, yeah, so let's keep an eye also stuck. on navel gazing. Yeah, oh, mm. navel gazing keeps you so stuck because yeah. you, who you think you are, is not in you. As a course in miracles says, it's in your brother. So mm. in our relationships is who is where we find ourselves. We mm. can't do constant. We we're not supposed to all of us, I should say, most of us are not supposed to be sitting on mountaintops, eating brown rice, right. drinking green tea and meditating for 23 hours a day. We're supposed to be, as Yogi Bhajan said, householders, people who are going about their right. everyday lives. And to find yourself, you find yourself in other people by how mm. you love them, by how you see the face of, of God your face reflected back to you. You treat other people like children of God so that you might realize that you yourself are one too. Mm. Um, and if you navel gaze and talk about your identity constantly, um, you are, you are putting yourself in bondage. Uh, You're putting yourself in bondage. So, so, so good. It's not, but I do have to say just so that people don't take me out of context, which I'm sure many people will. <laughs> one thing that we're supposed to do is honor your incarnation mm. i believe your soul my soul chose to have this particular body this particular skin color my particular family and many early childhood experiences and continuing on through life many points of fate that are, are going to happen and that are unavoidable. My soul chose these circumstances so that my life might be a laboratory for my soul, so that mm. this earth could be a classroom for my spirit. So part of the big issue here isn't that you pretend that you're just source energy and that's it. Right. But to rather take into context, because these issues are nuanced, everything is nuanced, whether we're talking yeah. about your soul or whether we're talking about the future of American politics, there is nuance. I am source energy. 
And my real job is to remove the blocks that prevent me from flowing through, through and with and from that source energy. But I also must honor my incarnation because I chose mm. this body for a reason. I chose my family for a reason. I've chosen many of these points of fate. And often when they happen, you know, that was fated to happen. The good thing and the bad thing, the getting the TV show job or losing your home and your job mm. and your wife in one fell swoop. You get the sense that these are faded things. But when it comes to identity and your body and your religion that you were born into, you have to honor it. It doesn't mean you have to mm. stick by it necessarily, but at some point you have to acknowledge, I chose this at some point in the five dimensional time space continuum. I love that, man. Um, so it's all very paradoxical and nuanced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So how does one honor their incarnation and not get stuck in the navel gazing? Um, I think I've done it pretty well. If I, if, yeah, I think I've done it pretty well. I acknowledge that I am a gay man, but if someone were to sit down and say, who are you? You know, if, I go into a new therapist or a healer, for example, and I feel safe and comfortable and they ask me the, the profound question, who are you? Mm. Gay would be, I, I would forget. Right. I, it I wouldn't, it wouldn't come up. It is so not a part of my, um, I my, my spirit, spiritual identity uh -huh. yet i was raised in a family where my father sat us down at the dinner table and and he wouldn't let us get up from the dinner table unless we expressed our opinion and supported our opinion and uh. i came from a loud family and we argued a lot there was no guessing what people were feeling you knew mm. because they were yelling at you and telling you what they felt and so I learned, honoring my incarnation, I learned, I picked to be in that family so that I might be a clearer speaker, so that I might understand what it's like to have a genuine, vigorous, productive argument, rather than uh, an argue, like the arguments you see online, which are weak people who never learned how to properly argue. Mm. I, so I, even though that was a little traumatic, you could say, as a child, mm -hmm. to be around such grating, yelling and screaming and arguing and constantly having people test you for what you're saying constantly, I, I look at what that gave me and why I might have chosen to come in into that family. Mm. Um, mm. I was ostracized for being gay when I was in elementary school and in middle school. I came out when I was 12 years old, um, but it, that helped me. I never think about the bad things that that, the bad emotions that that made me feel. I never think about it. I think how lucky am I to have had, unlike the popular kids in school, that when you go to the reunion, they're no longer, you know, the varsity quarterback. They're, <laughs> they're like 75 pounds overweight 
and right. still in this strange delusion that everyone likes them. Uh, and right. they never, and not in all cases, but in many cases, the popular kids never learn to rely on their personality, on their intelligence, on their humor. Uh, mm. They just, so they, they aren't challenged to build a, uh, a charismatic personality, whereas I was, and it is in large part due to the fact that I was an outsider. And the fact that I had the intense family that I had. Um, so I think you can mm. honor your incarnation without saying, this is who I am. I was bullied. I was thrown mm. up against yeah. a, br a brick wall for being gay. I, you know, that's who I am. No, who I am is the victor in that situation. Who I am mm. is the light in me that said, this is here to teach you something. This is here to make you bigger, better, stronger, and more in touch with that which you really are. Hmm. As you're talking, also, I would add, and I'd like to hear your thoughts. That's such powerful language. I'm all about words. Words are so powerful. Words are our magic. Honoring your incarnation. And so you find yourself here and you are God expressing itself through this vehicle. Eben, Jordan, whoever you are. <laughs> and you had very unique genetic makeup, very unique journey through your life from the time you were birthed out of your mother into this physical dimension. And so for me, honoring your incarnation is tapping into that vibration that's constantly spilling out of your heart space, mm -hmm. whatever that means, and not allowing that to be tainted by the culture or the identity of the mind that it's constantly wanting to latch onto the thing and say, I'm this. I am this, but just allowing that. And I think it goes back to, you know, what we've been talking about, but just constantly being, a, uh, allowing yourself to feel the feelings, allowing yourself to shift and grow and change and evolve. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me, Jordan, how many people I know looking around at middle-aged people, 50s and 60s, people I love, people who have been very soft places for me to land throughout my life, people who have been such wonderful teachers. And I look at them at times, some of them, and I can tell that at some point in their lives, they just stopped shifting and allowing themselves to grow and evolve. And so there they are at 55 or 60 wondering or trying to make sense of their life or trying to put two and two together, feeling very suppressed and stuck. And to me, that's, that's not honoring your incarnation because you haven't allowed that, that constant stream 
of God to continue to move you and evolve your your yourself and your being. What do you think? Looking at people around in that age group, you know, who are in their fifties or sixties, I'm, I'm, um, I take note of those people that you speak of who seem stuck or who seem rather stagnant. Uh -huh. I also take note of the people who are not stagnant mm, in their fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. The people who are still living life with vigor and vitality and curiosity and who are going with the flow who move mm -hmm. across the country or to a different faraway place at, at 70 years old um uh, yeah. with a, with again a sense of curiosity um i take note of those people and i enjoy being connected with and surrounding myself with people who are who are older than me much older than me um, who who have what I want, and, mm -hmm. and I think you can you can start to see how it's possible um, yeah. to be that way when you get older. Um, so many so, so much of what we experience in other people are again just like we try and be for other people examples. Um, it's nice to be around examples of your future self. So mm -hmm. I enjoy spending time with people who are. I just was with for five days a 70 year old woman who has gotten into a brand new hobby, um, a certain kind of spirituality, and she's on her Facebook and she's connected and made friends with, with these people who are a part of it too. And they go on trips together and get Airbnbs together and she's 70 years old. So I that sense it. of vitality is, 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 is awesome. I also know what just came to mind to me as you were saying that is a line from A Course in Miracles, which says every blessing that we've blocked from our lives because we've been living with a closed heart is mm. held in trust by spirit until mm. we're ready to receive it. Mm. So a lot of us feel stagnant and stay stagnant because we know it's not that we didn't have the opportunity. It's that we blew it over and over mm. and over again for the career we wanted, for the relationship we wanted. But the energy of that opportunity, once you launch it into the ether with a desire or an intention, it's held in trust by spirit until you're ready to receive it. And spirit mm. isn't looking at you and saying, oh, you're 40, that time has passed. Right. <laughs> or you're 80, that yes. time has passed. Spirit is just saying, when is the energetic match going to happen? When is the uh -huh. energetic match going to happen so that I can send you that energy through a particular vessel? Now, that vessel may not be the same job. It may not be the same relationship. But the energy of, of the desire and the intention can still come to you if only you get ready to receive it. So one of the ways that I reframe um, personal development and growth is instead of thinking I need to be something that I'm not, um, is, but ra rather to ask yourself, how can I get ready for the blessings that I say that I want? And mm. if you start a journal entry with that prompt, right at the top of the page, how do I get ready to receive the blessings that I say I want? You say you want X amount of dollars, maybe it would be a good idea 
to take care of the money that you already do have. Be a good custodian of yes. the cash that you have now, and you'll make of yourself uh, a, a, a more receptive um, spirit for the, the blessings of, of, of abundance. And so goes for relationships. Uh, there's a, an amazing book. It's actually, it's. I have my laptop sitting on a stack of books right now. And one of them is called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. And it's mm. a book and a workbook um, that people can use if they are fucking tired of silly dating and dating apps and they genuinely want to call in a meaningful relationship. This book, Calling in the One, goes through the process of actually getting ready, making yourself ready, making your life ready, preparing the ground of your life to receive the incredible intimate relationship that you want. And literally one of those things to just to bring it down to earth is to make space in your closet so that if someone maybe spends, comes over for a few nights a week, they can hang their stuff up, clean up your apartment so that you're proud. Even if it's a, a crappy apartment, make the best of it, make your apartment mm -hmm. ready. Uh, so make sure that both sides of your bed are, have a nightstand and that your bed isn't pushed up against the wall so that if someone comes over, um, they feel like they're sleeping up against it. basic stuff like that. And then, of course, in the book, Calling in the One, a lot more practical spiritual exercises to do as well. But this is all to say the universe holds in trust for you the energy of the blessings you want to receive. And your real job is to get ready to receive it. I believe it. I believe that. Yeah, I believe it too. I believe it too. A thousand it percent. Um, it's interesting, you know. The only reason I'm so tuned to... Well, I'm, su I'm super tuned to energy, people's energy in particular. Sometimes it can be super overwhelming. But I'm so grateful because I have two parents. My mother and father were both in their 60s who were some of the healthiest, most adventurous people I've ever seen. Wow. You know, and, they, and they've set examples for me of always just following their heart, following their spirit. My father is an artist, a painter. He lived in Brooklyn for 40 years, just moved out to Tucson, Arizona um, in July of 2020. My mother has been in Switzerland now for the last like three months, just got back. She's a yogi, mystic, very powerful bodywork wow. healer. And she she was a, a fucking super high-powered editor-in-chief of fashion magazines in New York for her entire life, decided to move her to herself and her two sons out west to California in search of some manifest destiny mm -hmm. and completely changed her life to be this yogini healer. <laughs> and it was so powerful for me in my life and everything I experienced as an athlete and all of that stuff and my deep understanding of the human body and how it works and my my dad i mean and so going back to tuning in you know tuning in and seeing ourselves finding god 
finding ourselves in the relationships in our lives. I've learned so much from people, just watching people and being around them, the good and the bad. Um, and I love what you said. Spirit holds it all in trust. I absolutely believe that. And something I have been actively working on in my own li- life. I don't know how you, how much you are. I, I'm sure, you, of course, you are tapped into this on to some level. But there are four planes of truth or four planes of reality. There's the spiritual plane, the emotional plane, the mental plane, and the physical plane. And the universe functions at the emotional level. It's all energy. Like everything in the universe functions at the emotional level. And that's in our own lives as microcosms of the universe our life is a reflection of the state of our emotional body. Another word to you, another word to describe the emotional body would be the subconscious, <laughs> the subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind or your emotional body is functioning on past premises in which it makes deductions about the physical reality that your conscious mind finds itself in. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's where the work must be done because it's a self-fulfilling yes. prophecy in a vicious cycle exactly but to yeah. your point of the cleaning out the space in your closet cleaning up your apartment those the way that we change the premises of which the subconscious functions on is through the physical plane through action because little by little through action you start to build the belief, build the faith of the subconscious and the emotional body of what your reality is. A lot of people say, I want this. I want the great relationship. What am I doing wrong? Yeah, but your emotional body doesn't believe that. Your subconscious mind doesn't believe that because you're trapped in some experience you had when you were a teenager where you got dumped and the person basically made you feel like you, were ne- you would never be good enough. So how do you start to alter the belief of the emotional body? Because whatever your emotional body believes, that is what will manifest in your physical reality. Well, you know what helps with that? And you, yeah, you're absolutely right. That was, that was a helpful reminder too for, for me, Evan. And I just wrote that down. I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about that for the next several days, likely. Um, sometimes to to recognize what those subconscious uh, emotional beliefs are it does require introspection but not your quotidian or everyday introspection um our minds are you know the reason one of it, it one of the theories about why we have npd or multiple personality disorder um is because the mind is so adept at compartmentalizing uh, traumatic mm. experiences, um, mm. so adept that if 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 if, a, if an emotion would literally you know destroy you and, and leave you dead, your body and these are usually experiences that happen before the age of say um, six or seven, which is the age at, at which I believe your 
your angels leave you and you have free mm. will. But before that point, if you have traumatic experiences, your, your brain, your mind will sequester these emotions and you can forget mm. about them for a lifetime. Mm. Um, one of the ways you can, I, I think, one of the things that has great psychotherapeutic promise um, is psilocybin. Mm. Yes. I think psilocybin or magic mushrooms can till the soil of your heart to return Absolutely. to that metaphor um, so deeply done in a proper setting. You know, you don't take it around people you don't know. You make sure things are safe. Um, it can till the yeah. soil of your heart and help you recognize where your current pain, where your current stuckness, where your current stagnancy is coming from, mm. what beliefs. Absolutely. And I know that happened for me in a profound, profound, profound way after a very mm. difficult breakup that I had that, you know, almost two years after the breakup, I still wasn't over it. And I was still mired in the muck. And one, mm. one session of psilocybin building up from a very small amount to a larger amount and being with myself and writing and meditating helped me identify exactly what you're talking about. The deeper unconscious belief that I had that was creating my day-to-day -day reality post breakup. Mm -hmm. And after that, I read a Carl Jung quote. Carl Jung said, enlightenment, this is a good one. Enlightenment mm -hmm. is not about imagining figures of light, mm -hmm. but about making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. So th that also speaks a lot to what we're talking about, the counterfeit, sort of counterfeit yes. spirituality that you see a lot. It's not, it's not enlightenment isn't about imagining figures of light, pretending that everything's coming up roses or, or even, you know, just talking <laughs> to your angels. It really on a deeper level is about making the unconscious conscious so that you can have to, to your point, um, some measure of control. You can sit in your proper role as co-creator of the world that you see. Mm, yes. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah. And I'm very glad that psilocybin is going through trials. Um, one of yeah. my friends is, is the world's um, largest in, investor in, um, in psilocybin uh, research. Really? And yes. And, and I, I've known, I met him in New York, maybe 10 years ago. And, and then I got very excited about psilocybin and its promises for, um, yeah. for psychotherapeutic purposes for, for mental health. PTSD, depression, um, end of life care, all of that. I got very excited about it. And then a news article popped up, Tim Ferriss and my friend Christian Angermeyer. Um, Christian is, has started these companies uh, and invested a lot of uh, money in psilocybin therapy. And so he's really helping to lead this, uh, this new 
this new expanded vision of what's possible for the real the the the, the establishment and and the sustain sustaining of mental health in mm. a large population because we can we certainly can't do pharmaceuticals constantly um no all the time for everyone no. it's it's a it's not sustainable that's one of well, one that, that's one of my cause celebs for me really um and to end on a really light and bright note i i'm only I'm, one of the reasons why i'm so passionate about moving away from pharmaceutical interventions for mental health um if if uh, possible and toward more holistic understandings of what it means to have mental health and to maintain it is because i was walking on the street one day on 12th street and second avenue in new york city going to get lunch and the air was electric for some reason and i was alone walking down the block between first and second avenue and i was alone i was the only person on the block and i felt this electric charge that i do in that i now know i feel in moments when i have to pay attention and suddenly mm. a body landed 10 feet in front of me she had leapt from the 10th floor she had oh she had God. stopped taking her her antidepressants three days prior and uh, leapt from her window. And so I immediately knew, knowing what I know, which is that when you destroy your, you can't cut class early. And when you do, your soul starts to come out of your body and looks oh. down and says, fuck, 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 fuck. I need to try and get back in. But mm. if you've damaged the body, too much if you've damaged your your vehicle your vessel too much then it can't get back in and the soul has a great sense of sorrow in that moment because it sees the big picture it sees how things could have gotten better if only um every avenue was exhausted and so i knew that the soul her soul was experiencing sorrow so i stood over her knees shaking you know her head had cracked open and all of that fun stuff but I stayed with her. I prayed with her. I yelled back for someone to call 911. I knew she was uh, very close to death, if not dead. And then the ambulance came and a crowd started to form and I walked away. And I was literally mute for, I think, four or five days. So I didn't feel comfortable speaking because I had just witnessed something so profoundly so profound and so real most people experience that maybe in war but you know the sight and the sound and to this day that's still lodged in me a bit i was just you know at walgreens and the stock boy threw down a big box of uh products that he was stocking on the shelves and it still gives me a jolt because that sound and that vision was, is so imprinted in me but i was mute for four or five days and it was so that what i experienced was so profound and so sacred but i also was asking myself why was i chosen to witness that why was i the only one on the block why did she leave when i was the only one on the block i prayed with her and i think my prayers are pretty serious prayers and so why did she choose me 
So I went on a blog and I Googled it, woman jumper in New York City, at least they call them jumpers. I Googled jumper, East Village, and a little blog in an East Village, you know, happenings blog popped up and it described this woman jumping. And so I commented on that blog and said, I was there, I was, I was, I witnessed it and I stood with her. If you know anything about her, contact me through my Facebook page. Her sister contacted me and said, can you talk on the phone? I spoke with her sister on the phone for two hours one night. Her sister said she was the most spiritual person in our family. She went to an Ivy League school where she majored in, in, in religion, Western and Eastern religion. She's passionate about spirituality and told me why she left. She was going through antidepressant withdrawal. And her sister said, she, it means the world to me and to our entire family that you were there because you were, you were the perfect person to be there at that moment in time. And so not only are moments like that perhaps faded, but definitely where, where you are, wherever you are, and whoever crosses your path, whether it's person who leaps from the sky or whether it's the person seated next to you on the airplane. When you're on the airplane, always say, hello, how are you? You never know. But people who cross your path, they're meant to be there. And if only you inquire just a little bit, you'll realize the incredibly profound otherworldly connections. Um, this world and this life we live in is like a symphony. And, and each of us is a different in instrument, a different melody, a different note. Um, so one of my reasons for talking about psilocybin, one of my reasons for giving, I want to give people permission, especially gay people who feel like they are just, they have to think one certain way, really open your mind to, um, questioning everything around you. Um, Evan, you said you have a problem with authority. I do too. No one tells me what to do. Um, when I was five years old, I've never allowed teachers to tell me what to do. I don't allow anyone to tell me what to do. I need to understand why it is I'm doing something. I need to question everything. And I think what you and I are both doing, and you really are such a beautiful man inside and out, um, you reinforce for me the possibility and the necessity of living your life with an open heart and an open mind. So thank you. I told well, you I'd leave you, you on a really light and bright note. <laughs> hmm. I love you, man. I love you too. I don't even know what to say. <sighs> Thank you. I feel really grateful to be connected to you. I appreciate you, man. I really do. Really grateful that you're out there. And um, 
I'm ever in Miami, dude, I'm going to hit you up. Please do. Please do. That would be legendary. That would be legendary. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love it. It's great down um, here. People are living free. And it seems like it. <laughs> people are living free. And uh, surprisingly, I'm shocked. Bodies aren't dropping dead in the streets. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when there were videos coming out of China and people were literally falling over? There was video of people falling yeah. over in the street and supposedly yeah. dying in the street and like having right. seizures on the <laughs> I don't know if it's Miami, but I haven't seen it in Miami. But then again, I haven't seen it in Manhattan. I haven't seen yeah. it in Boston. I haven't seen it. I haven't in seen any of Texas. That. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it in any of the places I've been. But yeah. Um, and I'm just so glad that the flu has all about disappeared. That's that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's that's what a something blessing. to be. That's yeah. It's something to be grateful. The flu is down. Yeah. Cancer's down. Heart disease mortality is down. It's it's. I mean, despite the you know, we have things to be grateful for. Absolutely, man. Yeah, but grateful I think to have I, each I, other. The, the biggest immune booster that I'm enjoying here is togetherness. I love that. And so whether that's you know at Shabbat dinner, whether that's just in bed with with whether it's a platonic friend sleeping over or a, my lover um or whether it's at the bar um or at a dinner with 10 people being around good people who understand you and who reflect back to you good things and just hugging each other and touching each other i think that's one of the most if not the most profoundly healing not only on a physical level, but on a on a spiritual, mental, and emotional level. Togetherness, and of course, sunshine, and trust, and faith in the intelligent design of, of your body. I think that's what oh. is getting me and my loved Amen. ones through this. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Is, is, um... I'm curious, before I let you go, I gotta run in a, in a minute. Um... Is anything changed in Miami with the the whole Delta variant hysteria? People are still there's no like because in L.A. it was like things opened up and now and then you saw this swirling of the Delta variant and then it's like we gotta all put masks back on because the cases are rising and the unvaccinated people are putting everybody at risk and we gotta mm -hmm. fu fuck and it's mm -hmm. just like. Uh, yeah, there's a county, see. there's a county in Oregon and Oregon's doing the same thing. There's a county in Oregon with zero deaths from COVID in the past three months. And they're reinstituting, um, uh, you know, a mask policy. Listen, the bubbles of the bastions of Democrats lately, and I, I was uh -huh. raised to be a, 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 a leftist, a progressive leftist. Likewise, so, likewise, so, uh, man. You know, like I'm, this has all everyone. been very I'm shocking. Like, I'm, I'm like a love everyone. <laughs> guy. Like anything goes, you know, yeah. do you, do you like, guy, right. you know, if you want to like one of my, literally my best friend who I'm meeting up with right after we get off the phone is a 60 some odd year old 
transgender woman who grew up in South Africa and came out as transgender when she was 18. She is one of the best people I fucking know. And like, I don't like, I don't care if you're transgender, gay, the whole gay thing, obviously fine, black, brown, anything. I don't care how your vessel manifests or even what right. your hobbies are, your interests or anything, just do you. So I'm, I always thought, well, that's, that's leftist progressive. Turns sure. out yeah. things are very different. And the, the yeah. areas of the country, <laughs> New York City, Los Angeles, Portland, these, these places in the nation that have been run by Democrats have just been decimated. Um, yeah. All of my friends, save a few, left New York, fl fled New York. And the, those yeah. remaining in, in Hollywood and in New York, the way that they respond to even hosts of mine living in Miami and just living my best life in Miami and being out in the sunshine <laughs> or out at a big dinner surrounded by my friends kissing and hugging <laughs> is abject horror, is abject yeah, horror. So. And, and I call it the bubbles. They're in these little yeah. social political bubbles that yeah. not only can they not conceive of living freely right now, right. they also have an impulse to attack and shame. Right. Of course. Attack and shame. And that's become part of the social fabric of Hollywood and of New York City right now. Uh -huh. And so, and, and that's something I, I, I laugh at because really, um, it's, it's, um, it's too bad that they can't try out what it's like to live free without masks. Yeah touching each other, loving each other, um, because staying in your homes and sitting on your ass watching TV and masking up and not seeing each other's faces and not touching is doing more physical and emotional harm than this virus will ever do um, mm. in a in a one to one comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So so I, I enjoy everyone to, to get together as best you can um and whatever that means for you togetherness open-mindedness and a little willingness to to open your heart to the possibility that maybe your circumstances are the way they are right now for a particular reason and if mm. you can tune in and i think just by virtue of maybe listening to the conversation that you and i have had um, people might be able to like tune in to the fact that there are a huge number of people out there who you can connect with who who think this way and who live this way and express this way and radiate this way. I love that. Man. It's all so good. awesome. Jordan. It's all good, brother. It's all good. Uh, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. I love you too, man. Thank you so much for the super powerful convo and love to have you on again, man. We got more to talk about. I'm sure. I know, I know this we is do. just part one. Call it part one. This is just part one. <laughs> this is just part one. Um, well, all right, everybody. I hope you guys, you guys might have shed some tears just like I did. Hope you enjoyed it. Lots of love to all of you. Thank you so much for your support and listening to me in this podcast. Until next time, y'all. I'll see y'all on the flip side. Peace.